Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Hey, everyone. I'm Megan Teets, and this is Sorta Awesome. Welcome back to the show where every week we go exploring in the pursuit of awesome. You can count on us to keep you informed of all the best shiny things out there when we share our Awesome of the Week. In each episode, we also take your questions and bring you the answers you need to help you uncover all the awesome within your own life. This week, our Hollywood housewife, Laura, joins me as co-host, and we are talking all about the art of hostessing and the practice of hospitality. You might notice the audio is a little glitchy in a few places this week, and that's because Laura was recording from her family's lake house, where she happily hosts friends and family all summer, but sometimes the internet connection gets a little bit lazy. I don't think you're going to mind, though, because she has collected some fantastic tips for hosting, and she's going to tell us all about her most recent dinner party disaster. All of that, plus our Awesome of the Week, coming up in episode 18 of Sorta Awesome. Hey friends, welcome back to the show. Our Hollywood housewife, Laura, is here today. And we had a really great listener question that got us thinking and talking about hospitality and hostessing. I could not think of anyone better to have this conversation with than Laura, because she is one of the most dynamic, outgoing, gracious hostesses that I know, and that is the truth. And we're going to get to all of that in just a few minutes, but first we're going to start the way we always do with Awesome of the Week. Laura, get us started. I'm so excited about this Awesome of the Week because everybody in the nation is talking about it. Okay. It's Harper Lee. Of course it's Harper Lee. This is her week. For this sure. is her week. Well, okay, so Harper Lee wrote To Kill a Mockingbird. It's, you know, touted by everybody as sort of the great American novel. Absolutely. A classic that sort of speaks to our history and it speaks to justice and it speaks to communities and childhood and coming of age and all of the things. It's a great, great novel. I actually read it, reread it last week for um, my blog's Read Great Books Literature Challenge. I'm doing a challenge this year where we're each month reading a, a great work. And I chose To Kill a Mockingbird for June because I knew that um, Ghost Edited Watchmen was coming out in July. So yes, I reread it last week. It is so much better as an adult than oh. it was when you read it in high school. Yes. Oh, hands down, it is, for sure. I kind of, you know, I kind of braced myself thinking it's... It, Things like that never live up. You know, things that were magical to you when you were young and then sure. you revisit them and you're like, maybe, oh gosh. I braced myself for that and it was totally unfounded. That book has held up, you know, unfortunately, in a way, that book is still so relevant. Oh, I know. Um, yeah. But besides some of the more difficult themes, which are are very interesting, just the language, just the way it makes you feel, the mm. characters, like all the things. That book is amazing. Stunning. It absolutely is. Yes. Um, and we had a really great discussion online about it, and which just made me even more, you know, excited for Ghost at a Watchman, which came out this Tuesday. 
I have not read it yet and I'm still pausing to figure out if I'm going to because the early reviews are saying that the characters in some of the story are really different from our beloved To Kill a Mockingbird. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's giving me a little bit, I, you know, I pre-ordered it to arrive on the day that it released and, I, you know, I'm just feeling a little bit nervous because for people who don't know, Harper Lee actually wrote Ghost at a Watchman first. Yes, it's her first work. Mm-hmm. It's her first work. It's still Scout, the the main character, but she's grown and she lives in New York. And Ghost at a Watchman, she returns to Alabama and is sort of dismayed by some of the racism there and and everything. And and at the time that she wrote it, the publishers or the editor did not think that it was that strong of a work, and in fact wanted her to bring out more of the flashback from her childhood. Like some of those stories were really compelling. So that's what she did. She reworked it for, you know, about two years. And what came out of that was To Kill a Mockingbird. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Go Set a Watchman is this sort of original old manuscript that was quote unquote found by her attorney. I feel I feel skeptical about this whole story. <laughs> You're such a skeptic. I'm such a skeptic about this found manuscript. <laughs> right. Whatever. I mean, right. I believe I do believe it's the original manuscript. Right. But yes. I don't know where it I has think that, been. I think your years in television production have given you a healthy skepticism <laughs> about when these things happen, like this just turned up after all these years. <laughs> yes. And while she's still alive and what, you know, all these things. So I don't know. I, yes. I feel uh, feel a little nervous about it's um, arisen from the vault. So that's why I chose Harper Lee herself as my awesome of the week and not either of the books, um, because I just think it's a fascinating look at her as a writer as we're sort of uncovering the old manuscript and how it morphed into To Kill a Mockingbird and just like what it says about her as a artist. Yes. And, uh, and since both works are rumored to be fairly autobiographical, to just sort of think maybe what she went through um, as a person and as she was creating these things. I just think it is so interesting and something that we don't get to see very often um, with artists like this, which I, and I think happens. I think that people's work, you know, do change or evolve or are biographical in some way. And we don't always know the details of that. And not that we fully know all the details here, but just even getting a glimpse into it is like a national literary conversation. It is. It's so exciting. That is what I have loved so far is just seeing all of these different takes on the idea, you know, what's covered in each book, how it changed. I mean, really, as a writer, looking at what she was able to do to take her first work and have an editor say, you know, I think there's really a story here, pull out those Uh, flashbacks to her childhood and create something that is, like you said, so beloved by thousands and thousands of people. I mean, it is incredible. It It really is like one of the only, um, truly one of the only literary works that everybody is familiar with. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, even if you were never a reader after your school years, um, you were most American People our age, of course, not the older generations, but like most American kids, I don't know, American people 40 and under have read this. Yes. And even if they read nothing else, they remember this one. If they had to, you know, if they had to read whatever, Beowulf, (laughs) who remembers Beowulf? Right, right. Yes. (laughs) Wait a second. I taught senior English. (laughs) I put my heart and soul into teaching Beowulf and you're telling me. People don't remember this. <laughs> I'm telling you, people remember Boo Radley more they than do. they remember Grendel. any anything else. <laughs> <Yeah>. Freaking Grendel. <laughs> no, that's absolutely true. I'll also, I'm just gonna drop some trivia into the conversation. Did you know Harper Lee is a Chi Omega? <laughs> she is. That's the that's one of the first things I may have even learned that on my bid day. <laughs> I could not be more shocked at this information. <laughs> Truly, she is basically our patron saint of Chi Omega um, to be able she, to. 
she doesn't seem sorority-ish yeah, she, to me. She doesn't. Although I've had people tell me that I don't seem sorority-ish. So you just never know about us sorority girls, I guess. But um, she is a Chi Omega and definitely somebody that we are honored to claim as part of the Chi Omega sisterhood. So I always like to drop that trivia on Kyle when we're watching different things or different... <laughs> Oh, I do. I do it, too. I do it, too. I wasn't a Kyle. Of course, I was a Theta. But if there is like a well-known Theta on the TV, it does not matter what they are doing. It has to do with science. It has to do with anything. I'm like, well, they were Theta. I know. I do the same thing to Kyle. Lucy Liu comes on the screen every single time. I'm like, she's a Chi Omega. Kyle's like, I know. Chi Omega. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Let's drop it. (laughs) Okay. Harper Lee, though, I mean, genuinely, golly, what a treasure of the American literary um, uh, culture. I mean, gosh, she's amazing. So that is a fantastic Awesome of the Week and so timely because, like you said, a national literary conversation happening around her right now. So that's fantastic. Okay, well, my Awesome of the Week is also, uh, it's literary-related. I chose this week a long-form essay that I just read at Brain Pickings. Do you read Brain Pickings? Are you familiar with Maria Popova and her work there? I do. I love Brain Pickings. I've even sent them a little money in their journal in their drive or whatever they do to support what they're doing. That is a great, great site. It really is. And for those who are not familiar with Brain Pickings, again, it's brainpickings.org. It's it's a full-time, like, just labor of love for a woman named Maria Popova, who's a writer. She's a critic. She lives in Brooklyn. She has created Brain Pickings. As, it's, to me, it's almost like an amusement park for people who love the humanities. She covers music, art, literature, everything on the cultural scene. She collects links and creates these discussions and um, includes, like I said, amazing pieces of artwork. And she shares it for free with people all around the world. And like you said, Laura, sometimes, you know, there's a sort of donation drive to keep the work going. But the content that she creates there is amazing. And it, Brain Pickings has over 3 million people who've liked it on Facebook. So clearly you and I are the, <laughs> not the only ones who are fans of her work. Well, so she writes these long-form essays, and the one that I just read from her is called Musicked Down the Mountain, How Oliver Sacks Saved His Own Life by Literature and Song. So a little context on this piece, which was just fantastic. I mean, it's going to be one of those that stays with me for a long time, I think. So Oliver Sacks, Dr. Oliver Sacks, is um, a British neurologist. He is a man who, he's just this triumph of humanity. He is an incredible genius when it comes to understanding how the human brain works. Um, Some of you all may be familiar with the book that was later adapted into a movie called Awakenings. It's a film that starred uh, Robin Williams and Robert De Niro as he used uh, music to treat patients with a very specific um, brain abnormality happening. He's this amazingly intelligent just impossibly genius of a man. Well, in this piece at Brain Pickings, uh, Maria chronicles the story from his autobiography where he talks about one time he was hiking on a mountain. We'll not go into all of the details of it, but essentially he got spooked by a bull that was literally in the path on this mountain. Um, He was running, he fell and broke his leg. Against all odds- Wait, wait. Bulls live on mountains. I know, I know. You're going to have to go read the story to get, I'm not going to go into all of the details of it. But yes, he was in the mountains. There was a bull. It was in the path. (laughs) You and I, here's the thing. You and I come from a land (laughs) where bulls are securely pastured behind fences. (laughs) Not roaming free in the mountains. (laughs) Okay. But okay. it's a true story from Dr. Sachs's life. Why wild bulls, mountains, I'm there. That's fine. Go. <laughs> okay. So the amazing part is he happened to have an umbrella with him that he was using as sort of a walking stick type thing. He tears the umbrella apart. <laughs> You're getting me tickled about this. It's a very serious story, Laura. So I'm sorry. This is, this is art. This is, this is science. I'm, like, I'm listening. Okay. 
Okay, so he's able to take this umbrella that he had with him by chance, and he makes a brace for his leg, and he's able to then just kind of like scoot his way with this terribly broken leg down the mountain. And what Maria Popova tells in this essay is how, as he is literally fighting for his life, trying to get down the mountain with this broken leg, all of these pieces of literature, um, novels, and um, stories that he has read through the years come rushing to his mind. Different pieces of music that he's familiar with come to mind, and those brought him the inspiration that he needed to miraculously kind of keep him going. In fact, there it comes to a point where he like comes alongside a river and he sits down to rest and he starts to think, oh, I maybe I should just like stay here and rest for a while. And he kind of suddenly snaps to and realizes um, <clears throat> that if he stays there and rests, he's going to die. And um, again, he's able to just sort of uh, push himself down the mountain um, and is eventually is rescued and taken to a hospital and has a full recovery from this really traumatic experience. But for a person who loves literature, loves music, this essay is just such an amazing look at what the human brain is capable of in really harrowing circumstances and how pivotally important arts and humanities are for human beings. I mean, they're not just a luxury. They are not just electives that can be cut when funding gets short. I really do truly believe that they have the power to give life to us. And I just, I loved this essay because it was such a literal picture of the humanities giving life to this, again, this incredible man and how he was able to, as the essay title says, save his life with literature and music. So I'm going to absolutely put a link to this essay in the show notes, but in case you don't make it over to the show notes, you can find the essay at brainpickings.org. So that was my awesome of the week, which I guess our awesome of the weeks turn or this week's awesomes, (laughs) our awesomes of the week turned out to be pretty literature based Mm -hmm. this week. So I guess when you have two women who have degrees in the arts, yours is in letters and mine in English, that's going to happen sometimes, I guess. So totally. Okay. Well, moving ahead, as I said, at the top of the show, we are going to be talking all about hostessing and hospitality today. Um, I want to note that Laura is joining us right now from her lake house, her family's lake house, where she and her family spend each summer. Not only do y'all spend your summers out there, but you also host pretty much nonstop family and friends out there all summer as well. And so that is perfect timing for us because we have a really great question from a listener we'll get to in just a minute that really got us thinking about hostessing. Um, I am here at our lake house. We bought this. My husband and I bought this house when before we even had children um, when we were early married with the intent to have like a getaway from Los Angeles and um, and to host family and, you know, have a, a place for our kids, our eventual kids at the time, now our actual kids, to see a different slice of life, a different slice of America. We're in the southeast part of the country. It's very, very, very culturally different from California. So we are here and as much as it is a retreat because this – place is magical and um, peaceful and, and beautiful and all of those words, it's it's not restful in the traditional way because we have guests here all summer. So we come, I try to come with the kids for about two months a year and um, we have groups of people in and out like almost every single weekend. And we're talking like big groups. Yes. Not just like your parents come out and spend the weekend. No, we have, um, last week we had 18 house guests and next week we're having, we'll be hosting 25. That's a lot of people in one lake house. It's so (laughs) many people. And we have, uh, those two groups are family because we do a lot of family stuff in July, but we also have, um, Friends from all over the country come and, you know, bring their families. Jeff has hosted his fantasy football retreat group of college friends, guys here several times. I've hosted 
my college friends. I've hosted um, a group of blogger friends several times. Like we host here all kinds of groups and guests and we feed these people and we go out on the boat and it's really, it's it's a very different kind of hostessing than I guess what I was used to you know, the rest of the year or pre having this house. Right, right. And I wanted to note too, I have um, just had the complete honor and so much fun to be hosted in both of your homes, your home in LA and out at the lake house. And definitely there is a different feel because of the uh, surroundings in each place. But in both homes, I can testify to the fact that you just have that gift of making people feel welcome. Everything from the little details that make you feel cared for and looked after to planning activities and food is a big part of it too. And you handle all of that so well. Not only do you host in your um, homes throughout the year, but also you do other kinds of hosting things. For example, you've hosted a number of book release parties, including my own here in Oklahoma City back in 2012 when Spirit Led Parenting was released. Um, You hosted for our friend Sarah Bessie when Jesus Feminist was released. Um, Your friend Nora uh, released a book, Semi-Charmed Life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Semi-Charmed Life. Hosted that book release party. You've done blogging events. You've hosted with brands. So not only do you host um, events and, and people in your home, but you do it outside of your home, putting together gatherings outside of your home. When it comes to hostessing, I mean, seriously, you know your stuff. And so I would really love to hear from you just to back up a little bit. What are your roots in hospitality? Who are some of your earliest influences on being such a remarkable hostess? Um, How did you kind of fall into this? Um, I've always loved hosting, even when I was young. I mean, which is funny, I we've talked about how I'm a really severe introvert. So it's kind of funny that I actually really like doing these events. But I I mean, my original inspiration would be my mom. Right. Yes. My mom is an excellent hostess and she is not a big people person. Right. Um, So it's kind of funny that she is so, so good at throwing a party. She really is. And it's funny that you say that because, you know, for several years um, over the Christmas holidays, when friends were back in our hometown for Christmas, you would invite, and this is when we were adults, um, you would invite us to come over to your parents' house and we would hang out and your mom would do that. She would come out with like plates and platters of food, like food from everywhere. As soon as we sat down, she was like, can I get you something to drink? I mean, everything was taken care of from a hostessing standpoint and then she would totally disappear. (laughs) No, that's her favorite way to host a party. Yeah. She doesn't want to talk to anyone. She doesn't want to do like the social part of it, but she loves putting, you know, she loves setting the tone of a room. She loves putting together the food and the theme and the decoration and how you feel when you, right when you walk in the door. Like she loves that. Like what's in your eyesight, right? When you scan the room, like she is really good at thinking of those things. Um, Just, you know, she would have made a great event planner because they are more behind the scenes. And she threw a New Year's party, a big New Year's party for all of her friends. It was an adult-only party mostly when I was growing up. And so I always was, you know, had to be upstairs or with a babysitter or something. But I witnessed her throwing these events. And then she was always, always, always on like a hosting group if there was a baby shower or a wedding shower or, you know, when I was young – you know how it is in a small town. Like those, those are the social events of the month. Are you know people's showers or yes, they are. Yeah, those kind of parties, right? Engagement parties or whatever. You know those kind of things. She was always part of the group of women doing that because they knew that she <laughs> like made the best food. She's yes, cook and um, she's really like the workhorse of it. You know what I mean? Totally. So I witnessed that always and but I was also inspired by the other women who would be hosting those types of gatherings when I was a kid because you know some women are more into the social side of it they actually don't care that much about the work that goes into it they 
love to actually greet people and speak with everyone and make people feel welcome. And it, those are almost two different skill sets. It's really hard to to be really strong at both of those things. And I know for myself, depending on the event or my mood or my, what it's going on in my life, I will sometimes be more like my mom and just want to like do the work of it that I don't mind and actually enjoy, but I don't want to like talk to anybody. <laughs> or, <laughs> or um, you know, be on the side of, I, I don't care about the details, you know, I'll just have it catered and don't care about all that stuff, but then I really want to enjoy the people who are there. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's really hard to play both roles. I, don't, I actually don't even know, I know very few people who can play both roles well all the time. I think that's... Those are almost two different things. Yeah, I was going to say, I think that is a very excellent point, that it is two different skill sets and that some people are really gifted in doing the behind the scenes stuff and some people are really gifted in doing the sort of front of the house stuff, if you you know want to call it that. So I think that's a great distinction to make. Okay, well, let's go ahead and get to our listener question. And this is from Rebecca in Denver. And she wrote in to ask, she said, uh, we, I would love to hear your philosophies on summer entertaining. Do you plan big themed events with tons of details or do you lean toward spur of the moment cookouts? Either way, how do you pull off a great party without running around crazy in the kitchen? So Laura, I know, well, first of all, you have a ton of hostessing tips and stories on your blog on hollywoodhousewife.com in the mostest hostess category, which I'm going to put in the show notes. But I know you have thought about Rebecca's question and have come up with some tips for all of us when it comes to entertaining. Uh, To answer her question just outright before I give some tips, I want to say I do both. I have, you know, sort of more formal themed events with party favors and whatnot. And then I also have like, everybody come over on your boat and I'm going (laughs) to... grill up whatever and I think it's nice to have both just as practice almost you Mm -hmm. know to if you if you think that it's something that you want to do the thing that I have learned the most in the last one to two years of hostessing and I feel like I've been actively hostessing for you know probably 12 or 13 years now even before I was married I used to host these teas. I loved having like a tea. I just thought that in Los Angeles, nobody did anything like that. And so it felt felt really fun to me to have like a tea. I have these really beautiful teacups and I would have women over and, you know, it was very like sort of Southern, almost like a Southern wink, but like I meant it. I was having a tea. Yes. (laughs) Um, And I loved to do that. And then when I got married, we would entertain it as a couple and stuff more, like I've already said. But the thing that I've learned the most, I mean, I have made all the mistakes. I have thrown amazing events, and I have thrown events that have been nothing short of a disaster. <laughs> like, like woke up in the middle of the night bawling. Like, oh, oh my gosh, oh. that was not good. Oh, that makes <laughs> um, me sad. <laughs> I've done all the things. And so what I what has like changed my hosting game, I feel like in the last couple of years, is I I was under the impression for a long time that hosting people in your home or otherwise was about impressing them. Mm. And I don't mean that in like with all the negative implications because a lot of times it's just you want them to have a good time. Therefore, you want them to, you know, think the scenery is beautiful and think the food is delicious and and think happy, positive thoughts, which means that on the hostess end, you're trying to impress them. You're trying to please your guests at all times. And so I tried to do everything the best so that their impression when they walked away was – it was awesome. Mm-hmm. And I don't I can't describe the shift or it would it would really just be too long to go in here now. But when I finally realized like, oh, this isn't about impressing them. It doesn't have to be the best evening of their life forever of all time. Everyone just wants to have fun. Everything yeah. everyone wants to just have a pleasant evening. Right. Yes. Like, Let's lower the bar. <laughs> right, right. To, you know, 
wedding level of the the events of your life to just being like, if we can all just attain pleasantry, that'll be great. <laughs> That's a good thing to aim for. A and nice time did, was had by all. <laughs> yeah. Th- for most people, a nice time was had by all will still be the best evening of their month. Sure. Yeah. That's you so know? true. That is so true. Because most evenings are bath and tantrums and, you know, crazy if you're a parent or, you know, work, whatever your life is, most evenings are not overly pleasant. I mean, they're not unpleasant, hopefully. (laughs) But you know what I mean? A lovely event is, is great. Just like, so when I really lowered the bar, I was just like, this is not about impressing. This is almost just about keeping everyone pleasant and having a lovely time. My events got infinitely better. That is fantastic. That is such, that's such a great perspective to have on it. Yeah, I like that. I like that because, yeah, most people's evenings are just what you do. It's just regular life. And so if you can create a space where people are just getting together and just, yeah, having a nice time, it's something special. It's something out of the ordinary of their regular, um, even if it's not during, you know, the evening or whatever. It's, it's something special. It's something out of the ordinary Who's going to walk away from that being like, well, that could have been a lot better. Laura's <laughs> off her game. That's for sure. <laughs> no one's going to do that. No one. Or if they no are, one. may I gently suggest, these are not the people you want to be invited to your home anyway. So, <laughs> Totally. Plus, if for whatever reason you think, I mean, I've been into an, to events and been like, these are not the best cupcakes I've ever had. Like, this is kind of a dry cupcake or whatever, you know, whatever thought you might have. It does not reflect upon the whole of the event or the hostess or the whatever. Totally. You know what I mean? Uh, like, Absolutely. Yeah. Things that may like, oh, well, I'll just tell this quick story because I do, I do want to get to these tips that I've lovingly written down. <laughs> um Last month, I threw a dinner party in Los Angeles for um, some of the teachers and parents at my school and my kids' school, sorry. And um, I mean to tell you, my table looked gorgeous. I'm sure it did. I mean, I had the china out, glassware. I had someone who did beautiful centerpieces for me. Um, I mean, my table was stunning. I was beside myself thrilled with what I was creating. (laughs) Um, the woman who did my flowers, who did my centerpieces, had a bunch of leftovers. She brought them to do them on the premises and she had extra flowers left over. And so she was like, do you want to just sort of scatter these around the party? And I was like, actually, let's put them in, um, this big bubble glass bowl that I had from some other something, who knows? And, um, she was like, okay. She said, I don't use those kind of vases very often, but you know, we'll make it work. So we put this beautiful arrangement in the center of my beautiful table. The party was to start at 7 p.m. At 6.59 p.m., <laughs> that bubble vase burst. Oh, shut up. Soaking. Oh, no. The linens, the seats, my, you know, the. Oh, the Laura. The whole beautiful tablescape was soaking (gasps) I want to cry just thinking about it and then my guests arrived like in like 30 seconds with glass there's still now there's broken glass on the floor oh my gosh and you know we ended up having to like sit on towels oh had to fold up towels you know the plates and everything were salvageable because nothing the food wasn't out yet or or whatever but like it you know i had to take the tablecloth off like every it was a different it changed the table <laughs> changed the tablescape dramatically you went with a more rustic feel than you We definitely had did but you know what it was a great night and literally nobody cared literally right. like they didn't care right um and i was cleaning up the mess as they arrived so i basically had to be like get your own drinks i mean <laughs> Drinks are in truly. the kitchen. No, truly. Like yeah. I had set wine. I was like, there's the wine or there's the, you know, ice or whatever it is you're getting. Have at it. Yes. Yeah. Nobody cared one lick. And in fact, my mom, who has said this to me for years and I just did not believe her. I thought this was the dumbest advice I'd ever heard forever about lots of things. She's always said, if things aren't perfect, people are more comfortable. 
Mm, Oh my gosh, that is so true. That people are actually uncomfortable when things... Yes. ...are totally perfect. You know, we're going off on a tangent a little bit, but that reminds me of something really poignant that a friend of mine said to me a long time ago when we lived in Texas. I uh, was a young mom. I only had Daisy. She was a little toddler. And I'd gone over to this friend's house who was just a little bit older than me. She had three kids. And she lived in this charming, beautiful old home in San Marcos. The inside, it really did. It looked like... um, from a home magazine. It was just so pretty and so charming. And I just, we lived in this little cramped townhouse apartment at the time. And, you know, I just felt so welcome and so comfortable there because my friend was so gracious and welcoming. And as I was leaving, I just said offhand, like, oh, Melissa, your home is perfect. Thank you so much for inviting me over. We had had coffee or whatever. Your home is perfect and gorgeous. And um, so Daisy and I left. I didn't think much about it. And a few days later, she emailed me and she was like, I just... I just want to tell you that um, my home isn't perfect. And I, I feel really uncomfortable with that word because I grew up in a home where everything had to be perfect and I never wanted that for my own home. And she just went on and on about how she, more than anything, she wants her home to feel welcoming, sure, but that she just kind of had this almost visceral reaction to me saying that her home was perfect. And I think that really speaks to what your mom was saying is that when you do walk in someplace that feels outwardly perfect it makes you like afraid to sit on the sofa and afraid Mm -hmm. that you might leave a ring on the coffee table or that there's something that's so much more inviting when your imperfection is showing and and seeping through or Mm -hmm. is you know spilled out over the tablecloth because it makes people act different like I was in the dinner party where I had that disaster I was envisioning a certain sort of cocktail vibe. Most of us were acquaintances. We didn't know one another very well. These are other parents from school and things. And so I was thinking it would be a very grown-up sort of cocktail vibe. Well, when there's water splashing upon <laughs> everywhere and, gl- and broken you know, glass. And- don't step on the broken glass. It sort of took everything to a much more casual notch than I like took everything down a notch to like a casual level that I wasn't envisioning but was probably better right yes it made everybody more like less stilted and like you know well what part of the city do you live in and you know and more like oh my gosh can me the duster what you know yes so I you know I don't I'm not like glad that the bubble. <laughs> I was going to say. Burst. So your first tip is try to orchestrate a disaster <laughs> as your guests are walking in the door. <laughs> no, no, because I, it actually stressed me, and then I couldn't pull oh, back. Sure, it took me yes. like it took me like an hour to relax, kind of, you know, after that. So no, I don't recommend that you <laughs> orchestrate a glass disaster. But I do think that if you can let yourself think okay, this didn't ruin anything. Right. This didn't. Yeah, that is so true. That is a really fantastic insight, something that I think anybody who is looking to start hostessing or to even just become more comfortable if you've done it in the past. And well, I mean, I feel like that really applies to me. We have done a lot of hosting, especially just cookouts and those kinds of gatherings in the past, but I've been so hesitant to do it with the twins and the house is always a wreck. And so that's really actually speaking some powerful truth to me right now. So, okay, let's get let into me these tell tips. you, oh. I have, I have some tips. Okay. Yeah. Let's get onto the tips. Okay. The first one is what you just said. Kind of the first tip of hostessing is just do it. Like you would not believe how many people say to me that they're scared to do any of it, to do a formal gathering or to do a casual gathering. Their hangups are a plenty. Mm-hmm. Yes. Everybody has their own hangups, be it your friend who would, you know, thought it was, you know, who might have a perfect standard to which she would live up to, or the person who's just worried about their dirty house. It doesn't matter. Just do it. I think um, no matter what kind of thing you want to create, you have to just do it the first time. And then you're over the hump of it and be like, well, next time I'll do it differently or that worked out perfectly. Why don't we do this more? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So my first thought is if you're so inclined, just step out on a limb and do the first one. Just do it. Mm -hmm. Tip number two is um, let go of who comes. Ooh, that's good. That's really good. This is really important to me. I've learned this lesson in a 
hurtful ways over the years. If you're really attached to who's going to attend, um, like say you invite 10 women to your tea and, um, but really there's two that you're really hoping will come and they don't. Well, you have the other eight women there and that is going to be its own dynamic and its own special thing. So don't get hung up over who doesn't come. Right. Conversely, don't get hung up over who does come. If someone says yes that you never dreamed in a million years would say yes. (laughs) So now you're overly stressed because of the one person who's coming. You still have the other eight women to attend to. And you really cannot get, and I've done this. I'm speaking to this from, I have done this. You cannot get tangled up in who comes and who doesn't come. You need to send out your invitations and you need to just let the attendance fall where it does. That is so good. And then you can really fully focus your energy on the people who are there. And like you said, let go of the other stuff. Mm -hmm. If there's really something, I'm going to confess something sort of embarrassing here. I have thrown an event just because I wanted, you know, one or two people to come specifically. I've like thrown a whole thing around you know, wanting to get to know someone better or, you know, whatever. That's not the, you know, the surface of why I'm doing the event, but that's my secret reasoning. Mm-hmm. Um, if that, don't do that. Like, don't do that. Just <laughs> just learn from me not to do that because your expectations of that are never going to go how you want them to go ever, ever, ever. If you want to get to know one or two people better or or whatever, um, or honor them in some way or, or whatever that relationship is, then just ask them to coffee, just that person. Yeah, that's good. That is a good lesson to learn. That you know, is- don't invite them to your girls' night to impress them or to change that relationship between you and them or whatever. Like, that's really not the way to go about it. It's not fair to yourself as the hostess, and it's really not fair to your other guests who are there as well, who, again, they may never know it, but they're not receiving the the fullness of who you are and even why you wanted to create the event. So No, just don't do it. Um, so, so that's tip number two is to let go of who comes or doesn't come. Let the attendance be what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, number three, do not get caught up in doing it your, all yourself. Oh, that's good too. Mm-hmm. There is so much out there in magazines and Pinterest and whatever that you feel like you have to have all homemade mason jar decorations and homemade food and homemade hand-printed invitations and like all the things. That is dumb. (laughs) (laughs) To put it bluntly, that's stupid. It's so stupid. You're only going to stress yourself out. Now, take what your strength is and do that part homemade. So if you're super artsy, then by all means, make handmade, you know, centerpieces and whatever. Do all the things yourself and take posters, you know, take pictures of it for Instagram. But then maybe get takeout food. Right, yeah. You know, or if maybe your your strength is in the kitchen and then buy store-bought decorations. Right, right, yeah. Work with your no strengths. No one yeah. works with your strengths. Do, you cannot do all of the things DIY unless you plan six months in advance. And I and I do know that there are people out there who their strengths are all the things and they do plan six months in advance. That is totally an anomaly and not normal life. That's great. That's good to know. That is good to know. You buy, you know, within the budget that you're working with, buy the things that are not your strength. What decorations or food or whatever. And and often you always need food of some kind, but often you don't need decoration. Depending on the event, I mean, I think that unless that is an area that you just love that brings joy to your life and to your planning of the event, if you leave that off, I, I think that's probably one of the things that people most likely just don't even notice. <laughs> they do not notice. And then number four, is ties directly into this, but it is um, make what you know. So do not try a new recipe for a gathering. I have unfortunately done that 
many times. I don't know why, because I'm a ding dong. That's why I have tried brand new things, even if it's a simple pioneer woman recipe. Hers are usually not that complicated, but I'll be skimming Pinterest and be like, ooh, that looks perfect. And then five minutes before everyone gets there, I'm completely freaked out and stressed out because, uh, yeah, I shouldn't have done something brand new. (laughs) It's the worst. Don't do it. You're going to mess it up or it's not going to taste good or whatever. Right. You should have, every host or hostess should have you know, between five and 10 go-to entree recipes or food for groups or, you know, whatever your event is. And you need to stick with that. No one ever, especially if they're plain crowd pleaser type of recipes like roast or whatnot, no one is ever going to be like, well, I had roast here last time. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. They're not. So, you know, you have a few things and then have some specialty like, you know, secret recipe type sides or desserts or something. You don't need 45 of those recipes. You need a handful of them and stick to those. Or if you're going to try something new, then practice it a few times on your family or whatever. Make it a few times. Do not make something new for the first time as the main deal. Occasionally, like for Christmas Eve, we have guests and things, and I will try a new side recipe, like some mm-hmm. side. Therefore, if it goes awry, it doesn't matter. So don't don't try new things. And if if food is not your strength and decorating is your strength or whatever, then same thing. Like don't try a whole new like butterfly cutout display <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> I'm just going to go on the record and say I'm never trying a butterfly cutout display. <laughs> there is no circumstance where that would happen. But no, I I think that's so true. Build build a repertoire that you can work with comfortably and then work the rotation through that. That is so good and I am I am learning at your feet right now because I have done that to myself way too many times to the point where Kyle's like, "Really? Again with the new recipe?" No. Why and at four, four in the morning, you're sitting there cutting up butterflies. <laughs> or whatever. Cursing and crying this idea. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Don't try something crazy new for, some, for an event that matters. Okay. And then number five, this is the hardest one, the one I'm still learning, the one we could all work on. And that is just do whatever it takes to enjoy your own event. Mm, so most hard. of my events, I swear to you, Megan, like probably nine out of 10 events that I throw, I don't enjoy them in the moment. Right. Now, afterwards, I can look back and be like, okay, that went well. Everything was fine. Um, or, oh, I really liked that this happened or I'll do this better next time or, you know, whatever. I, I can give myself the constructive criticism, but I'm rarely like in the moment at the event. And that makes me sad because I will have friends who later will be like, oh, I got into this really good conversation about whatever. And I'm like, I didn't even, I didn't even know that conversation was happening. You know, there's always going to be a balance of that. You're always going to be scanning the room to make sure that people don't need drinks or that there's not, you know, empty plates piling up or whatever your sort of hostess duties are. But if you can think about it, in advance and think what will make this event enjoyable for me and really try and do that. And that can be various things. That can be if you have the ability to hire someone to help you clean up as the party's happening or to, you know, have your teenage nephew be the one who pours the drinks or um, use paper plates if if everyone dumping their own trash is going to take off the cleanup for you cook everything in advance, things that can be made in advance and then served like that. Whatever you decide is going to make you be able to relax and have a better time than just like running around like a crazy because the host sets the tone for the party. That is so true. So if true. You, if you are running around stressed out and you've been stressed out for 48 hours prior to event, it's going to show everyone is going to be a little edgy. Yes. Well, you know, I'm a huge believer in the energy that every person brings to the space that they're in. And it does not matter. You can think to yourself, oh, I'm smiling on the outside. Come in. Let's get you a drink and those types of things. But if your energy is 
really saying, I am completely freaking out right now. then people pick up on that energy and there there is that there's an edginess and a sort of like did you really want us to come over kind of <laughs> kind of response so i think that that is a huge part of like deciding what is my priority in this and if it is to make people feel welcome like how do i prioritize how i'm going to spend my resources like you said do i need to outsource some of this do i need to set up um, a full buffet to where people it's just like literally help yourselves I'm not going to you know I'm not going to worry with this whatever it looks like make that the priority so that as people are coming in that you do have the freedom to project an energy that is absolutely like I am so glad you're here come in sit down kick off your shoes whatever it makes a huge difference for everyone's experience of the event like if you're excited about the event everyone else will be excited about the event. So like you're, true. You're so excited to discuss the book, you're hosting book, book club, or you're so excited to toast the happy couple, or whatever it is, if you are genuinely in your heart excited about the gathering that you're pulling together, it will shine through. But you cannot do those things if you are really, really, really stressed out. So if you, if you follow some of the other tips, you will be naturally relaxed. If you've made a dish you've made a million times, so mm-hmm. you're not worried about the food or, um, you know, whatever whatever your particular stressors are, mine always tend to revolve around food. And so when I realized that my stressors, even though I'm actually a decent cook, um, when I realized that for the dinner parties I was throwing, that the food was such a stressor for me, I started to hire that out. Mm-hmm. And I mean to say I've brought in pizza or I have had a chef. I've done all manner of different things, but um, I'm really comfortable making food for big groups, mostly at the lake. I feed big groups all the time. But when it came to these intimate dinner parties I was having, the food part of it was so stressful to me that I realized I didn't want to do it. It wasn't joyful, like the event wasn't joyful. So then I started changing up how I did the food. I brought the food in. And one time I literally brought in P.F. Chang's and put it in bowls. And no one cared, I'm sure. People were like, I love P.F. Chang's. Who doesn't? Yeah. Um, Those tips are amazing. And I'm saying it again, truly, I'm taking a lot of this to heart because hospitality is something that we feel strongly about, but we have gotten so off track with it because, well, mostly because of me, because I guess my thing is never the food really be, honestly, because Kyle usually covers the food. He's a fantastic cook. He almost always covers food when we have people over. So that leaves me feeling like, well, if my husband's cooking, I need to at least make sure that the house looks great, right? So that is honestly why we have gotten so off track with hosting people in our home and practicing a hospitality, which we do believe in, but I've just gotten it in my head that the house has to be perfect if we're going to have people over. So I'm genuinely sitting here and really thinking about and reflecting on these tips such such good advice. So for me, outsourcing may be like hiring a one-time housekeeper to come in. And like, if I can't like mentally adjust my own expectations, like outsource it and say, you know, I'll get a group on for one-time housekeeping, you know? Or if I may lightly suggest, um, if you are really truly worried about the way your house looks, I think you need to focus on a few areas. So nobody sees dust bunnies in the corner of your living room, right? Right. right. Yeah. Where they might notice is like the powder room. So clean yes. the bathroom where they're going to be going to the to the bathroom. Uh, you know, clean the areas where you think they're actually going to congregate or where they might notice. Don't feel like you have to like do the whole house thick and span, <laughs> top to bottom, wax and whatever. Right. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So when I need to do a quickie thing, I always like try to make sure where they're where they might notice. Yes. Yeah. That's good. That's good. That's good stuff. Well, and speaking of just being able to get over your own expectations for hostessing and just doing it more often, earlier this year at Mothering.com, there is a fantastic article called How to Host a Crappy Dinner and see your friends more often. It was published last February at Mothering. And the woman who wrote it, her name's Melanie, um, and I think her last name's Mayo Lasco. Um, She talked about how she and a close friend of hers decided to just 
have an experiment and see what would happen if they just started inviting each other over to the other's house for dinner and just from the outset saying this is just going to be a crappy dinner. So they came up with some rules to reassure each other that they were really going to meet the standard. (laughs) The standard of crappy. The standard of crappy. The first rule was no housework is to be done prior to a guest's arrival, which speaks to my heart immensely. The second rule was the menu must be simple and not involve a special grocery shop. So just, just regular people food. Third rule was you have to wear whatever you happen to have on, which that one's not a big deal for me because I actually just live in t-shirts and skirts. And that's, if you see me, that's basically what I'm in. (laughs) But so, you know, no dressing up and no worrying about basically also no worrying about what your kids have on, just whatever you're wearing. No hostess gifts was the fourth rule. And then they said the fifth rule was optional. You must act like you're surprised when your friend and her family just happen to show up at your door. (laughs) So the idea is just a really, truly a come-as-you-are dinner. And they started doing it, and they did start to see each other more often. They do it once a month, and just to make sure that they really grow their friendship and that their families are really staying connected taking all the other expectations off the table. And I really think there's kind of a movement growing of people who are like, especially families with kids, just like, let's, we're just gonna, if we're ever gonna see each other, we're just gonna have to be okay with real life and um, extending grace to each other for whatever real life looks like. So I thought that was really good. Um, I love that. I feel like, and I, I read that article, I feel like a little bit of that is cultural and in that in Los Angeles, that would never happen. I mean, you would have to like make an effort to make a crappy dinner happen. You'd have to have some stringent rules, like right. You would really have to. But at at the lake house community, there's a bunch of houses on the lake, and then we have a little town 15 miles away. And I've made a bunch of friends here in in the few years that we've had this house. And the thing I love about it best is that people do just drop by. Mm-hmm. It's not an effort to have crappy dinner. They um, drive by, everybody drives around the lake on their boats and they'll just stop at random docks. And if you are, happen to be the one making hot dogs, maybe you throw five more on the grill. Or if you all gathered and comes around dinner time, maybe you order pizza, whatever. But it is so casual. And I actually love that. I don't know if that's a Southern thing. I do think part of that's a Southern thing. Um, but casual, casual gatherings like that are the best, best, best. But I think it's cultural, I guess is my point. That's a good point. I hadn't thought about that, um, being cultural. Um, But yeah, we have even done a version of this without planning and without without any rules. But our neighborhood in the past, we haven't done this in a while, but in the past we would just have spur-of-the-moment potlucks. And we would just be hanging out outside when the weather's nice and people would have their uh, lawn chairs out in the driveway or whatever and kids are running around and we it'd be like you said be dinner time and people would just start going in their house and kind of bringing out whatever was in the kitchen like uh you know the neighbor next door might be like okay I'll make sandwiches for the kids we might have some leftover ribs or whatever that we'd heat up for everybody and we would have just an impromptu potluck of whatever was in our house um So I think it's maybe not entirely unusual in this part of the country for that to happen. And, you know, I loved it because since it was outside, nobody saw how messy my house was. This is the theme of my life, you see. (laughs) I've been to your house and you're acting like that you are a literal pig pen. (laughs) There's just, we have a lot of stuff, a lot of kids and a lot of stuff. It bothers me, but I'm working on it. We're working on it together. So, okay. Anyway, um, anything else hostessing or hospitality wise that we haven't covered? I feel like we've covered a lot of ground. So, well, the one thing I didn't speak to, um, it's, it could be a whole podcast upon its own is house guests. Mm, Right. Having overnight house guests is a little bit different than some of the things we've been talking about. That that actually would be an incredible topic to cover in the future because that's a whole nother set of, you know, philosophies and approaches to it when you have somebody um, not just stopping by for dinner, but actually staying in your home. And, you know, as we've talked about, you do a lot of that too. So let's cover that in the future because I am sure there are plenty of people out there who would love to hear how the ways that you do all of this with hosting people throughout the year. So 
good stuff. Hey, before we go, before we wrap up, would you please remind us where we can find you all around the web? I am regularly at my blog, hollywoodhousewife.com. And then I am on Instagram and Twitter as Hollywood H Wife and on Facebook as The Hollywood Housewife. Fantastic. Okay. Well, thank you, Laura. And thank you all so much for joining us back here this week at Sorta Awesome. We sure are happy to host you here every week. And we will see you back here next week. Thanks for joining us today at Sorta Awesome. Show notes for this and every episode are available at sortaawesomemegan.tumblr.com. While you're there, click on the Ask Us link to submit your questions for an upcoming episode. If you are enjoying the show, it would be incredibly awesome if you would subscribe, rate, and review the show in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't forget, if you want to discuss today's episode, you can find me on Twitter at Sorta Awesome Meg, or join our community on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash Sorta Awesome Hangout. I have to give a shout out to the band Prager for allowing us to use the song Strut for our in and out music. To find out more about Prager's nasty beats and pretty chords, go to pragermusic.com. And I'll meet you back here next time as we discover explore, and discuss all the things that make life sorta amazingly awesome. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.